It's good to be together. So it's always encouraging. So we're a little spread out today. We don't have the Southwest with us. And so, um, you know, last week we had the Southwest region. It's so funny. We set up chairs for about 700 people, and we had uh, over 1,000 in here. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then, now we're back together, we have the same room, and it's like, man, where's everybody at? <laughs> but it's, uh, it's good to be together. Um, I want you to pull out a piece of paper or something you can write on. You can type it in, it doesn't matter. Uh, just, it, it's not going to be a lot. It's just something really quick. You know, this last year, we've been talking about the ministry of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 4, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus was all about teaching. Keeping the saved saved. Man. We have a Bible talk leaders this meeting this morning, and we were talking about that. Everyone, discipling, everyone engaged in discipling, keeping the saved saved. Whether or not it's yourself, discipling yourself, or engaged in someone else's life, that is the expectation of the ministry of Jesus. Preaching to a lost world, the good news, the gospel, healing, serving. Those who are in need. So here's my question. Two things. You can write one word. You can write a sentence. It's up to you. Why do you participate in the ministry of Jesus? What motivates you? Two things. Real quick. Why? Why do you do the ministry of Jesus? If you're a disciple, if you made that decision. If you haven't, if you're visiting with us, you can just... Sit there and watch someone, what they write. <laughs> but why? Why do you do it? What motivates you to, to keep the saved saved? What motivates you to preach to a lost world? What motivates you to serve, to heal, to love? What motivates you? You know, in the book of Corinthians, Paul's dealing with some issues in the church. And you can read it. There, there's questions. Is it one letter? Is it two letters? Is it three letters? What's going on? And, and here you have Paul participating in the ministry of Jesus, his life. He's out there, and he's preaching and teaching and loving, serving, and he's given his heart. And, and he literally went into the city, this town called Corinth, and he started a church there. And then he goes off and, and continues in his ministry other places. And years later, years go by, and other people come in from different cities and areas, and they start calling Paul's motivation into question. They're like, is he really an apostle of Jesus? <laughs> I don't think so. And they start giving all these subversive, divisive um, comments about Paul and his ministry to the church there in Corinth. And, and literally, Paul has to write this letter back and, and explain to them what's going on and what's really happening. You know, in this letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we see he, he writes this, he goes, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger in sea. Danger from false brothers. So you can look at that and, you know, it actually keeps on going. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. In verse 28, it says, Apart from me, or apart from these things, there is the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak that I am not weak? Who is made to fall that I am not indignant? You think you had a rough year. You think you're going through some hard times. Look at this. I mean, stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, whipped. Um, on the sea, danger of rivers, danger of robbers, his own people. This guy, it's a lot of hard things are going on in his life. And, you know, Paul is not questioning God's love. Paul is not questioning whether or not he's a disciple. But the people in Corinth were like, you know, if he was a disciple, if he was an apostle, he wouldn't be going through all these things. And I think all these things are happening in his life is proof that he's not really an apostle. Because if he was an apostle, he'd be like Superman, flying throughout the Mediterranean with his cape, healing people, serving people, protecting people. An apostle of Jesus would be like a god. You know, I really get a big kick out of how we as human beings can look on the outside versus the inside. A couple weeks ago, a month ago, we had a, a politician. It doesn't really matter what, what um, political party he belongs to. I'll just throw him under the bus. He's, he was a Republican. And, and this is like, you know, mid-30s, sharp-looking guy, cut, ripped abs, kind of like me. And, you know, he's like, really... <laughs> He, you know, he's a sharp guy. He, he's doing all these things like mountain climbing, rock climbing, and, and, you know, his constituents just fell in love with him, and they voted for him. And then he got, he got busted because he inappropriately was using campaign funds. And to his credit, he immediately resigned. He's like a, a rep for the Senate or for the Congress. And, you know, we look at people and we look on the outside and like, oh, man, this is the kind of person I want to lead me. Oh, sharp and handsome and gifted and can speak well. And, oh, look at that. That's the kind of leader I want. So Paul's not really an apostle. Paul can't be an apostle. Look at all this stuff going on in his life. And so Paul writes this letter. <laughs> what motivated Paul to love and serve the Corinthians? What made Paul so consumed and concerned for these people that were really questioning his sincerity? You know, you read through the book, and then, man, you're just like, man, this guy's tired. But he's looking forward, he's frustrated. But he's looking at the end. 
He sees what's going on, and he feels like he needs to write them and deal with this issue because he is motivated. So what two things did you write down? You know, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's look at Paul's reasoning. Chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God. And some of us are, our buildings are being destroyed. We're not as young as we used to be. We can't run as far. We can't jump as high. We can't eat as much. And for some of you young, you're like, no, that'll never happen. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put our heavenly dwelling on, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan and being burdened, and not that we would be unclothed, but that we, should, we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we always of our good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not sight. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Paul's reason, number one, his motivation was that he's going to be accountable. He's going to give an account. His goal was to please the Lord because he knew. He knew he was going to stand before God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, and I'm going to put it up here real quick. For, I'm now seek, am, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or if I'm trying to please man, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Then Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 also. It says, so as to walk in the manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience with joy. So living in a manner that's worthy. Because he knew he was going to stand before God and give an account. You know, I'm so glad I'm not in school. And I'll look on that side, and even though the campus isn't here, I'm so glad I'm not in school. Why? Because when you're in school, you're always accountable. You got tests, you got grades, you got dress codes, you got this accountability, that accountability, and you know, you get to a certain point of age and you're like, man, I am so glad I'm done with school. But see, are we? Are we? Are we really out of school? Because we all must stand before God. We all must give an account of what we've done. 
in this body. And see, what Paul is doing, Paul's looking to the future. Because I'm looking in the future, this is going to stop me from doing things I should not do. Because I know I'm going to be accountable. You know, I've, I've shared this before. I, I, like, I used to like, I still like to run, but I can't run because of plantar fasciitis. So I walk. I go prayer walks. Anywhere from a half an hour to an hour. I'll go out and walk. Go pray. I'm, my neighborhood's starting to get to know me, which is great. But, you know, I'll go pray, and a lot of times, garage doors will be open. And I'll be walking around, walking, praying, looking in the garage, and I'll be noticing something in the garage. And, and I'm like, wow, that's a really nice set of golf clubs. And I'm walking along, and wow, look at that bike in there, that motorcycle, or that, that uh, maybe Schwinn bike or something like that. And I'm walking along, like, wow, look at that. There are purses on top of the car. And I'm looking there, and I'm walking by, and I'm like, what would stop me from stealing? What would stop me from going in the garage, picking something out, and keep on walking? I mean, okay, yeah, you might say, well, they might have cameras, Todd. And they might. But that doesn't stop me. That doesn't stop me from doing what I should not do. What stops me from walking into their garage and taking something that I like is because someday I know I'm going to stand before God. I know I will. I don't care if Tracy sees me. I don't care if Art sees me. I don't care if Brian Routier sees me or Mike Slay sees me. These are all police officers. Because I know I can outrun them for at least 20 yards. <laughs> and now they're going to they're gonna confront me afterwards. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's try right now, you know. <laughs> that ain't going to stop me. See, I mean, seriously, it, it's so easy. I see people, they walk in, they're there, they walk in, and I know I got about 15 seconds. I got like a minute. That's, that's where my mind goes. I, I can do this, and I can get by with it really quick if I want to. But I don't want to. And it's not because I have that already in my garage. It's not because I know I'm going to stand before God. And so guess what? Maybe the reason I don't swear, or I don't say things about people, or if I don't do other things because, you know what? I'm going to have to give an account for every word, every action, everything I do. I will give an account. So that keeps me from doing things that I should not do. And that's okay. But see, the problem here, though, with motivation is that there are things that will stop us from doing something we know is wrong. But then does it cause us to want to do something that's right? And see, that's why Paul had two motivations, not just one. And so we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's, that's rich right there. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's also known to your conscience. That's also rich. Now, Paul could be saying, 
you know what? God knows who we are, and we know who we are. I hope you know who we are. Or he could be saying, I hope you know who you are in, in front of God. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're out of our mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. You know, in the NIV, it says, for, the, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. You know, and what the Greek is, is goes, the love of Christ. And it could, be, it could be looked at, read, like, okay, our love for Christ, or Christ's love for us, is what compels us. Yes. The answer is yes. Christ's love compels, controls, forces, obliges to do something. Love. You know, let's look at love for a second here. Let's look at Christ's love. John 13, verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were with him in the world, he loved them to the end. John chapter 15, in verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then lastly, Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you or grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This love. You know, it gets kind of funky sometimes, because, see, I believe we can all appreciate accountability. But, see, I think when we start talking about love, I think it, it, it just kind of gets kind of funky. This love. This love compels, controls. This love motivates us to do things that we would not normally do. This love. 
you know, we can spend time and talk about why do we have such a hard time believing that someone loves us. And, you know, I had some discussions about this this week, last week, and like, oh, you know, because I really know what's going on in my heart, and I, I know what I'm capable of, and, and I haven't really ever been loved, and I've gone through all these things, and it keeps me from really appreciating love, and yeah, I get it. But that doesn't mean you're not loved. You know, you know, I was like, but, you know, Patty, I don't like to wash dishes. I don't like to clean up. There's a lot of things I don't like to do at home. But when I see my wife sick with lupus and trying to get other things done, I'm like, okay, you know what? If I clean this dishwasher out and if I wash these dishes and if I do that, that means she won't have to, so she won't have to expend what energy she has. Well, I'm not going to do that. There's no accountability. Right. So I do it because I love her. I do it because I'm motivated. I'm doing it because, you know what? It's going to help her. My love for her or her love for me motivates me to love. You know the only thing that can snatch us away from this kind of love? The only thing possible to steal that love away from us is ourselves. <laughs> it's not the person next to you. It's not your dysfunctional family. It's not your dysfunction. It's not your job. It's, it's not your environment. It's not how you were raised. It's not the color of your skin. It's not how tall you are. It's not how much money you have in the bank. It's you. You can pull yourself away from that love. And I've seen it. You've seen it. A lot. We're surrounded by people who are pulling themselves away from love. Indifference. A hardness, a willingness to hold on to meaningless things, and we snatches away from the love that we all have. You know, back again, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen. It says, "For the love of Christ com controls us or compels us." Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. So what? So what? You know, I, this really great friend of mine, Travis and I, been with Travis 18, 19 years, and down the south, and eldership, and board meetings, and things like that, and Travis and I would talk a lot, and we'd always talk about, so what? So, you know, you have these lessons, or you have these talks, or you have these good, deep times, and, and you, 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 you talk about all these things, and it's like, so what? What's, what's the end of the, what's the end? What's the, what's the, Bottom line, 
You know, in this whole conversation, we've been talking about the ministry of Jesus and how we need to keep the saved saved, ourselves saved. We need to preach. We need to serve and love. And Okay, that's good. So what? Okay, we talk about motivation. Talk about accountability. We're going to be accountable. We're going to stand before God. And then love. Motivating us, compelling us, controlling us, making us do things that we're not going to normally do on ourselves. Okay, then so what? So what do we do with this? Well, let's keep on reading 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5, verse 16. So from now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, God, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, as we are Christ's ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, in the NIV, verse 16, it says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we should no longer. No longer looking in a worldly point of view. And, and you, you got to ask yourself, okay, if I want to understand what a worldly mindset is, how do I see that? How do I learn that? How about we turn on our TVs? <laughs> Very simply, or read the paper. What's a worldly point of view? Well, watch sporting events. What is one of the things they sell? Cars! Big cars, trucks! Car, 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 you need a car, you need a car. Buy a brand new car. You gotta have this car, you gotta buy this. Okay, there's that. Okay, then maybe Cialis. Okay, if you don't understand that one, just turn on the news and you'll see that. What is that calling us? Okay, how about, I mean, what are things that are on TV? Things that generate income because they're trying to throw out a big net to pull you in and they're trying to hook you onto something. Read the paper. What's going on? They talk about racism, talk about injustice, talk about, okay, we talk about this problem or this issue. We talk about this. And what's the world focus on? Well, look how much this person made. Well, look why this person is having a hard time. And you just, you just start seeing, okay, what is the world's influence? Rich or poor? People are easy to deal with, hard to deal with. What's the world trying to get us to buy into? Okay, you know what? I don't, I'm not supposed to look at you or God in a worldly point of view. So from now on, hmm, it's not about me anymore. 
I got to love you. You know, you're kind of hard to love. But you know what? Because you're a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to learn how to love you the way Jesus wants me to love you. Wow. You know, it's not about being self-centered. You know, it's not about the, the world revolves around me anymore. It revolves around other people. So I got to be out of myself. Selfless, not selfish. Oh, okay, this love is going to motivate me to engage, to be transformed, not to be worldly, not to think about, well, you know, I kind of like, I appreciate Kenny sharing about special and giving and and, you know, actually the issue is we, got eight, we had to give our other books away to the other two regions. And so we have 88 books. So grab one, and then if you don't get one today in the hallway, you can get it Wednesday night at the Women's Midweek. So everyone will have one. But, I mean, really, I mean, I tell this all the time. We're in a bubble, in a bubble, in a bubble. And then you got the rest of the world. You got Dallas. That's in Texas. That's in the United States. And see, so some of us, it's like, oh man, you know what? I mean, I gotta, I gotta get my nails done. Or I need the newest car. Or I need that prescription so I can have sex. Or I need this so I can do this. Or I need this. And so we start spending our money, but in a worldly way but not thinking, okay, what's really important beyond my little bubble? Or, or not considering others, because I've got to consider myself first. I've got to think about Todd first. Now, you know what, Todd's second. Patty, the brothers, the sisters, the church, then Todd. No longer considering others from a worldly point of view because I am a new creation. I'm new. And because I'm new, I got to engage the world in a different way. Now I'm to reconcile, I'm to reunite, I am to resolve. My job, number one, as a disciple, is that, oh, there's dysfunction here. You know what? As much as I can, as, as within my power, I am to here to come and to try to bring functionality. Because I'm a new creation. I'm to encourage. I'm to lift up. I'm to build up. I'm to reunite. To reconcile. But then also, I'm ambassadors. I'm, Christ, I'm Christ's ambassador to a lost world. He says, making his appeal through us. You know, as disciples, if you're a disciple, again, you know your plan A and God's will for this world? Harmony, love, deep relationships, being reconciled to God, you're plan A. You're that ambassador. Do you just build friends with people who look like you? Or do you have deep friends that are different from you are? You're an ambassador. 
your plan A. God is reconciling the world to himself through you. Your life, your example to the world. And guess what? There's no plan B. There's no plan B. There, God's not going to do it any other way. God's not going to say, well, if they don't do it, then I'm going to go ahead and implement plan B. Because the team didn't do it. There's no plan B. It's us. And see, we've got to ask ourselves then, what's our motivation? Why am I motivated to not act like the world? Why am I motivated? Well, I, I'm going to stand before God. Yeah, okay, I get that. It's going to keep me from doing things I shouldn't do. I'm not going to go to your house, and I'm not going to take anything out of your house when you invite me over. Because <laughs> you know I know I'm going to stand before God. That doesn't mean I'm going to love you. That doesn't mean I'm going to love my neighbor. That doesn't mean I'm going to love the Corinthians. And see what Paul was doing to the Corinthians and this whole divisive atmosphere that was going on in the church was Paul was like, guys, know my heart. I'm going to stand before God. I know I will. And you know what? I love you. I love you with all my heart. But that love is because of Christ's love for me. And it motivates me to love you. It motivates me to give my heart. It motivates me to write this letter. It motivates me to go build churches. It motivates me to love all people. And so I think as we move forward as a church, whether or not it's the Northwest region or other parts of the church, we've got to look at our, our motivation. Why are we involved in the ministry of Jesus? Are we keeping the saved saved? Are we preaching to a lost world? Are we looking for ways to serve and to love all people? So as we come and we take communion, remembrance of Christ and his sacrifice, I pray that we'll evaluate the motivation that we have for being here and all the different things that we will do this week, next week, next month, how we will sacrifice, how we will deny ourselves, how we'll be selfless because Christ is calling us to be focused on others. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful for this opportunity to be able to come before you. God, I pray that each one of us will evaluate our motives, the God that we understand that we will stand before you, God, someday, but at the same time, God, that just will keep us from doing things that we shouldn't do. Pray, God, that we are compelled, God, that we are controlled by your son's love for us. And because of that, Father, that we're willing to step out and be different. We're going to be willing to step out and not be like the world. That we're going to step out and be disciples of your son to a lost world. We love you. We're grateful. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.